Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. You are so good, God. Thank you, Lord. Wow, the anointing is here today, and I know that you feel it wherever you are. Because thank God, he is not confined to a building but we are the church as the body of Christ together. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being part. Thank you for bringing church into your home, into your living room. We're just honored to lift up the name of Jesus together. I'm Pastor Amanda. I serve as one of the associate pastors here. And um, on behalf of our senior pastors, Jeffrey and Amy Smith, we're just glad that you're with us today. And I know we've said it many times, but I just have to echo happy Father's Day to all the dads. Um, we honor you. We celebrate you. We hope you have an amazing day. And we want to, I think of the different seasons of life that people are in. I know today we have a couple of first-time dads celebrating with a baby in their arms. I think of Eddie Palma, who we got to interview their family in the family room a couple weeks ago little baby Phoenix. I think of Jordan and Hannah Foster who just had their first baby. Congratulations, first time dads. We love you and we celebrate you. But we also have to honor dads um, or even men who have become like a dad to so many young people in our world. Um, your sacrifice does not go unnoticed and we need you. So thank you to the men who are coaches and teachers and sponsors. We honor you. We celebrate you for being a godly role model in the lives of so many young men and young women. And I understand that as a church, we've been very openly and honestly discussing how all of our backgrounds are different, how not all of our stories and histories are the same. And so on the same token, I recognize that this day isn't as joyous for everyone. And so if you are a father in waiting, we are waiting with you. We are praying with you. If today has a little bit of a pain point because you've lost your father, we weep with you. We grieve with you. If today is a little painful because maybe your father was absent or you were rejected by your father, we weep with you and we encourage you that there is a heavenly father who loves you and who will never abandon you, who will never leave you or forsake you. You know, if you know my journey, um, grief is something that I'm very familiar with. And today is actually the 19th Father's Day where my father has been in heaven. And I, I just hope that my story can offer you some hope and some perspective if today is a little tough for you. You know, I had a great dad, um, but obviously losing your dad, things like Father's Day, things like their birthdays, it brings up all of those painful emotions. But today I can stand here and tell you that actually now Father's Day is one of my favorite holidays to celebrate, not just because my husband is a great father, but actually because today I get to celebrate 19 years of my heavenly father being so faithful in my life and being ever present and going above and beyond all that I could ask, think, or imagine for him to do. So there is hope for you wherever you're at in your journey. Today doesn't have to be painful because we can lean in today to our heavenly father. He's a safe place to run.
So I pray that the same feeling of hope um, just enraptures your heart today and encourages you that there is hope to come, that our story doesn't have to end in pain. Amen? Can you type amen in the chat? Let someone know that you're there. Um, we love chatting with you. It's our way to interact together during service. And today as we continue the Orchard series on Father's Day, believe it or not, Father's Day is actually the perfect setup for the next fruit in this series, the fruit of long-suffering. So we're going to read our text, which is Galatians chapter 5. This is the text for the whole series. It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, and it says this, But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Can you put your hand on your heart and say, my life is an orchard? You can type it in the chat. My life is an orchard. Today, the title of this message is Long Suffering. And if I could give it a, a, a byline, it would be Stronger Longer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we celebrate you today. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your hope and your healing thank you for your faithfulness and your example in our lives. Lord, as we discuss this topic in your word, let us let our hearts be open to receive revelation, fresh revelation of who you are as our Father. And we thank you, God, that you are walking beside us every step of the way. So illuminate this word to us today, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's really funny that I'm teaching this topic today because other versions of the Bible refer to this fruit of the spirit as patience. And if as we were sitting around the staff table, which we haven't done in months, if we were sitting around the staff Zoom, that's what it really is like right now. And they said, Amanda, can you teach on the fruit of patience? I would have said, <laughs> not it. Least qualified in the Zoom, guys. Um, because while I will say it's an area I've grown in, especially when it comes to driving and people not paying attention when the light turns green, I'm still not perfected in patience. Just got to be honest. We're, we're in church. I'm telling the truth and staying in church. Is anybody else with me? Like, patience, that's a tough one. I feel like most of humanity would agree patience is a tough virtue to cultivate. So I like the way the message calls it in our text scripture. It says a willingness, developing a willingness to stick with things. That sounds so much nicer. Now that I can preach on. That, I've I've, that willingness I've developed in my life. But patience is such a funny thing in um, the Christian church. You know, I'm a church kid through and through. I've grown up in church my whole life. And I don't know if you've ever heard this like me, but um, I remember people telling me, like, don't pray for patience because then God's going to give you the opportunity to use it. And I was like, I will never pray for patience ever. <laughs> I don't want to 
have to use that stuff, you know? I don't know if you've taken our orchard quiz online. Um, we released it at the very beginning of this series, and if you haven't taken it, I encourage you to do so. You can find the link in our Instagram bio, but if you've taken the quiz, it, it has the word long-suffering listed for, for patience, because in the King James Version, it's long-suffering. And I really like that we went with this word, and I'll explain why in a minute. Because I think if the quiz had said patience, we would have all been like, mm, that's like three or less. But when it says long-suffering, the willingness to endure, we're like, yeah, I'm tough. I can endure some things. And we might give ourselves a higher mark just because of that language difference. Now, I want to say good morning to the hallelujah wall. How are you guys doing today? This is my first time preaching with the hallelujah wall. I'm so happy you guys are here. Happy Father's Day to you guys. But we are going to deep dive into this. And patience and long-suffering, by definition, are actually very similar, both in English and in Greek, as they are in the New Testament. And if we were to boil it down to simply this, patience means waiting with a happy heart. Now, we're waiting with a hopeful heart. This boiled down definition is actually what we sing to our four-year-old when he's having a hard time waiting. We just sing to him, patience means wait with a happy, happy heart. Because we want to instill in him something we're still working on ourselves, um, but we recognize that if we're still struggling with it as adults, we need to instill it the earliest we can in our child who has inherited some of our strong-willed tendencies. But patience is simply waiting with a happy heart. And the reality is a lot of us exhibit patience in little things. It's normal to have to wait in a line. It's normal to have to wait in a doctor's office. And I think sometimes if we're mentally prepared, like, oh, I, mean, I know I'm going to have to wait. I know it's going to be longer than I want it to. So I'm just going to bring a book or play games on my phone or talk to a friend or whatever. I'm going to make the most of my time. And we can kind of go in with the attitude of I'm going to wait with a good attitude because what else can I do? But then we have long suffering. And here's where the definition of long suffering gets a little difference, different. Long suffering defined is showing patience in spite of troubles, especially when those troubles are caused by other people. Ouch. Uh, another definition of long-suffering is patiently enduring lasting offense or hardship. And finally, another definition of long-suffering is slowness in avenging wrongs. Wow. Wow. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be wronged, especially by other people who should know better. I don't like injustice. I feel like justice should be served swiftly. And oftentimes that means me taking things into my own hands and not practicing the fruit of long suffering. So today for Father's Day, we're going to examine the heart of Father God and the long suffering of Jesus because I can't think of a better duo to talk about today and to learn from today, because they both exhibit those examples in perfection. 
So we're about to read from Matthew chapter 26. And I would love for you to pull up your Bible because we're doing uh, what Pastor Justin calls, which is I'm going to preach it like I see it. We're going to go line by line. And if you're watching at cityoflife.live, there's actually a Bible tab. I don't know if you knew that, but you can click that Bible tab and pull up Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation. So that way you can follow along with me. But just a little setup before we get to this scripture. This is when Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. This is immediately following the Last Supper with his disciples, the washing of their feet, him dismissing Judas to do what he needs to do to betray him. Jesus knew that the greatest pain point, the greatest suffering of his life was quickly approaching. He explained it to the disciples clearly at the Last Supper that he was going to die, that he was going to suffer. And the disciples still didn't 100% get it. But Jesus was starting to feel the grief and the suffering. Not just about dying, although I'm sure knowing that you were about to face a brutal execution would be enough to bring anyone to anxiety but also Jesus knowing that he would be taking on the sin of humanity and therefore disconnecting himself from his father, a connection he had known for all eternity. That is the grief and the, the level of suffering Jesus was enduring. So let's pick up in Matthew chapter 26. We're gonna read verses 37 through 44. And like I said, I'm reading from the Passion Translation today. And it says, Jesus took Peter, Jacob, and John with him. However, an intense feeling of great sorrow plunged in his soul into deep sorrow and agony. And he said to them, my heart is overwhelmed and crushed with grief. It feels as though I'm dying. Stay here and keep watch with me. Then he walked a short distance away and overcome with grief, he threw himself face down on the ground and prayed, my father, if there is any way that you can deliver me from this suffering, please take it from me. Yet what I want is not important for I only desire to fulfill your plan for me. Then an angel from heaven appeared to strengthen him. Later, Jesus came back to his three disciples and found them all sound asleep. He awakened Peter and said to him, Do you lack the strength to stay awake for me, with me for even just an hour? Keep alert and pray that you'll be spared from this time of testing. You should have learned by now that your spirit is eager enough, but your humanity is weak. Then he left them for a second time to pray in solitude. He said to God, my father, if there is not a way that you can deliver me from this suffering, then your will must be done. He came back to the disciples and found them sound asleep, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he left them and went away to pray the same prayer for the third time. So we're going to break this down verse by verse. Starting at the beginning in verse 37 and 38, we see Jesus bringing along three of his closest friends. Now we know he had the 12 disciples that he had just had that last supper with. He also had an, a great 
not specified number of disciples that followed him and followed his teachings. So he had different layers of relationship with people. And he brought his three closest friends. He confided his grief. He confided his deepest pain point, And he asked them to pray with him, even if they didn't 100% understand or get where he was at. And when I think of my worst days, I think about the fact that I didn't reach out to the whole world. I didn't advertise, hey guys, this is the worst day of my life. No, I reached out to the healthiest, closest people that I could think of in my life. And I asked them to join with me in prayer. I asked them to cover me in prayer, even if they didn't 100% get my pain. You see, Jesus modeled something that I think we can often forget, especially as adults. We need relationships, healthy, close relationships. Do you have a handful of people that you could reach out to in a crisis? Do you have a handful of people that you could text, hey, I need prayer right now, and you know without a shadow of a doubt they would stop everything and genuinely pray with you? If you don't, it's something to examine in your life because Jesus was God himself, and he needed relationship, and we aren't above the needs of Jesus. And something my husband and I discussed recently on a Wellness Wednesday is I know a lot of us don't like the shallow, getting-to-know-you conversations. A lot of us prefer the deep, moving, thoughtful, quote-unquote, more important conversations. But the reality is you can't just jump into the deep end of a friendship. Sometimes you have to wade through the shallow to find out if you can go deep with a friendship. So it's not wasteful to have those shallow conversations about what kind of food you like and what Netflix have you binged this month, because um, we're not going to the movies. It's not wasteful to have those quote-unquote shallow conversations because it builds to something deeper. And a, a question we get asked a lot is, in such a big church, how do you, how do you make friends? How do you meet people? Well, we have so many opportunities, but the most immediate opportunity is social week is coming up this week. And so if you're not signed up for a group, if you've been putting it off like, uh, I don't know, I just don't know people, I just don't like shallow conversation, take a cue from Jesus, start developing some more healthy, godly friendships, and you can sign up for a group at col.tv slash small group or groups. I apologize, I didn't have that memorized. Um, but you can find it because life is about relationships. Jesus modeled that. And so it's so important for us to invest in relationships and develop those healthy people. Moving on to verse 39. Jesus didn't just rely on the prayer and companionship of his friends, which in this case is a good thing. He went directly to the Father one-on-one. -on -one. I think we're quick to ask for prayer on Facebook or maybe a text, but we haven't actually prayed ourselves oftentimes. But I love that Jesus is real. He went to the Father and he didn't try to disguise his emotions. He didn't try to downplay what he was feeling. He didn't try to compose himself, no. He laid it all out. It said he went face down to the ground and he just opened his heart to be real with God. His conclusion, though, 
which is so beautiful, is that, God, my desires aren't important. What's most important here is your will, is your plan for my life, and I yield myself to your plan. You see, Jesus showed patience in spite of troubles. It takes patience to see God's plan unfold, even when it looks more and more troubling and possibly more and more dark and more and more lonely. But Jesus showed long suffering as he endured this difficulty. He understood that the Father was in control, that God could have changed the plan in one moment. In fact, that's what his prayer was. Hey God, if there's a plan B, if you can change this, if we can think of another way to rescue humanity, if we can think of another way for this plan to be put into action, for salvation to come to the world, let's do that plan, not this plan. But God, if there, if there isn't a way, I trust your plan because I trust your heart because I've been connected with you for a long time and I know that you have the heart of a good father. Jesus yielded to the suffering while trusting the father's heart. And I think that's a beautiful picture for us that when we face suffering, we have to remember our father is still with us and his heart is unchanged in wanting goodness for us. In verse 40 and 41, Jesus goes back to check on the disciples and he calls them out for not even being able to pray with him for an hour. Now, granted, if you understood the timeline, this was in the middle of the night, Jesus. Like, hello, this is the time to be sleeping. They just had the last supper. They just had clean feet. It kind of sounds like a perfect recipe for slumber, if you ask me. But Jesus called them out on something that I believe he's calling us out on today. He said, your spirit is eager enough, but your humanity is weak. You see, the reason we're spending so much time on this Fruit of the Spirit series is because our spirits are eager, but our humanity is weak. Our humanity must learn the discipline of cultivation. Our text in Galatians says that when we live God's way, when we live God's way. That's daily and sometimes even an hourly or moment by moment decision to live God's way. When you live God's way, that's how the gift of the fruit of the spirit appears in your life. So God is responsible for the fruit appearing, but we are responsible for the faithfulness to prepare the ground. And our faithfulness is what paves the way. Picking up in verse 42, we see that Jesus prays a second time. And this is kind of where we get that famous quote from, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And in this verse, we see the beauty of surrender. I don't know about you, but I like to think of myself as pretty competent and I don't like asking for help a lot or ever. I like to feel like, you know, I look like I've got it all together. I'm good. But there is beauty in surrender. And in this modern era where we look like we need to be strong on our own, where it looks like we need to have all the answers figured out, 
sometimes God is just asking for the humility of the surrender. And when we put something into the hands of our Father, not only is that the safest place, but it's also the only place where we can experience redemption and healing and purpose found in our troubles. You see, if we hold on to our troubles and pain ourselves, all it develops is more pain and trouble and suffering. And so the ability to surrender our hearts fully and trust the Father's heart is a gift. Jesus modeled it so that we could execute it in our own lives. In verse 43, Jesus finds the disciples sleeping again, but doesn't wake them up. Even Jesus, who knew no sin, experienced rejection, disappointment, and feeling frustrated and abandoned by those closest to him. He was about to die for their sins, yet he lived out the very definition of long-suffering, patiently enduring lasting offense or hardship, slowness in avenging wrongs, he didn't plot for ways to make them feel guilty. He had compassion on them, and he continued to pray by himself. Which we see in verse 44, he went by himself again and prayed for the Father's will for the third time. If Jesus, God himself, perfection, had to pray for God's will three times, had to pray for the strength to honor God's will and his suffering three times, we have permission to pray several times more in our humanity. It is okay for us to struggle with understanding God's will sometimes, for us to feel the pain in the suffering and to ask God, where is your hand in this? Where is the hope in this? It's okay to have those questions. It's okay to ask God to change the plan but our ultimate conclusion has to be trust and saying, God, even though I don't see it, even though I might not understand it, I'm leaning into you. We have to pray it so many times until that trust becomes part of our DNA, part of just, it's just natural. And that might take a lot of prayer and that's okay. When I was uh, in a youth or young adult here, I think I was a youth, a student. This was back when our senior pastors, Jeffrey and Amy Smith, were my youth pastors. And I remember a teaching, this was a couple years after my dad had passed away. And this teaching, clearly, I remember it to this day. It's had a lifelong impact on me. And it was just this one simple thought. He shared that oftentimes we can have trouble relating to God as our father for a couple reasons. Number one, if you've had a good dad, it can be hard to just replace him with Father God. Like, I have a good dad. I don't need to view God as my father. It can also be difficult to view God as father if you've had a really poor example of a father because that idea of fatherhood has been tainted and is painful and is not what it was meant to be. And so it can be hard to view God as Father through that lens of pain because we don't want to believe that God would disappoint us or hurt us or fail us the way a human father has. It can also be painful 
to view God as father, if you had an absent father, if you felt rejected before you were ever known. Because again, we can tend to subconsciously put those same attributes on our father God. And so here's the reality. We all carry baggage when it comes to our past. And the phrase daddy issues isn't a thing on accident. It's because we are, it's like we're all carrying around a suitcase with our past, good, bad, and ugly. And the reality is we're carrying our pain with us. We're carrying our disappointments with us. We're carrying our hurts with us. We're also carrying our joys with us and our victories with us. But sometimes we don't wanna open the suitcase because the pain can be too great to look at, at it in the face. But God's will for us is not to continue carrying that pain, carrying those tainted views of life. God's will is to uproot the pain, to uproot the, the difficulty. That's how we till the ground to prepare for the fruit of the spirit. It's to get the painful things out and replace them with hope, replace them with the truth of God's word, replace them with the redemption and the healing that God has for us. That is living in the fullness of what God has for us. So here's the reality. Whether you have a good, absent, indifferent, or poor example of a father, today we all need fresh revelation of who the Father God is to us in our lives today. We need that revelation. We can't continue to do life as normal. We can't continue to, to, to view Jesus as our friend and the Holy Spirit as our guide and ignore the very, very important element of the Father wanting to father our hearts. And so how do we replace those unhealthy root systems? Well, we have to look at what the good things are. We have to plant the good things. And so here's some good things that I've learned from the word and from life. A good father has the big picture in mind. A good father puts healthy parameters in place because of love, healthy boundaries. Sometimes a good father will say no, even when the child so desperately wants him to say yes. A good father doesn't abandon his children. A good father doesn't pour guilt onto his children. A good father doesn't allow suffering without purpose. So men, today, whether you're a natural father or you carry the spirit of a father, we need you to have the big picture in mind as you're mentoring those around you. Thank you for lovingly enforcing boundaries. Thank you for comforting through the suffering. Thank you for your presence. It means more than you could possibly know. Thank you for modeling the heart of Father God to the young people that you serve and that you love, to your own children and to those in your community, to the children in your world. You know, after my father passed away, obviously we were planted in church. I said I was a church kid. And there were so many men of God that stepped up in me and my brother's lives just to love us, to encourage us. And it wasn't even so much a daily thing. That wasn't really what mattered. It was just the consistency of every few months at church, they might say something or they might send a text that says, hey, I'm praying for you today. And so we need godly men to carry a fathering spirit in a world 
that doesn't know the goodness of our Father God. We need men who father like God fathers. When I think of a good father, obviously I think of my husband, Pastor Justin. Um, he's an incredible father. Happy Father's Day. But this week, um, we took Malachi to the splash pad. He was in heaven because it has been closed for months. And Malachi, thankfully, as, as, as strong-willed as he is, he's also kind of a cautious child, which I'm grateful for, because that means we haven't been to the ER with a broken bone yet. So that's, that's a good thing. But sometimes his caution can hold him back in fear. And so at the splash pad, there are these big buckets of water that fill up, and once they're full, they dump. And it's like a, a gallon, maybe a gallon and a half. It's nothing dangerous. And he wanted to go stand under those buckets, but he was so afraid. And he would get up the courage, and he would say, okay, I, I'm going to do it. No, 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 I'm not going to do it. Dad, will you do it with me? My husband's like, of course, I'll go with you. And they would walk over, and they would stand, and then Malachi would run away. And so my husband got down to his level, and he said, son, you are going to do this. You are going to stand under this bucket. And you could see Malachi was shaking. He was crying. I felt like all the other parents were judging us. And they stood under that bucket. And of course, like most parents can surmise, as soon as it fell, he laughed. He said, that was so much fun. I want to do it again. And so in this little example, we can see how something that could be so terrifying, could be so debilitating, could be something that held him back in fear. A good father pushed him through it. And in this case, the result was fun. Now in Jesus's case, it's a little different. It was great suffering, but the father had so much purpose for Jesus and for all humanity. Parenting can be exhausting. Am I right, dads? <laughs> when they're infants, it's the sleepless nights and constant demands. In our current stage, Malachi is like an expert negotiator. It's so exhausting, the back and forth. And I know we'll face more challenges in the future, but a good friend of ours gave us some advice when we were new to this parenting thing. And knowing that me and my husband have strong temperaments, I think she knew that our child might inherit that as well. And she said, you don't have to be strong forever when it comes to your child. You just have to be stronger longer than your child. And I was like, okay, I can work with that. I don't have to be strong forever. I just have to be stronger longer. And the reality is that everyone faces trials and troubles. Everyone faces hardships, especially hardships caused by other people which is the definition that we've been talking about with long suffering. But the difference between the children of God and those who don't know Father God is that we can be stronger longer when we've allowed the fruit of long suffering to develop in our lives. The beauty of being adopted into the family of God is that we don't have to rely on our own strength, but as Philippians says, we can rely on Christ's strength within us. 1 Timothy 1.15 says it this way, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. 
However, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Jesus endured long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe. That's you and that's me. What is a pattern? Well, if you've ever helped your child trace a pattern, it's something that's outlined so that you can recreate it. If you've ever sewed a piece of clothing, you first need the pattern laid out to know how to cut the fabric for the sleeves and how to cut the fabric for the body. And you lay down the pattern and cut the fabric to the exact measurements of the pattern. You see, Jesus went through long suffering as a pattern so that we could model our hearts after him. I think the fake fruit of long suffering could look like putting on a smile and pushing through, pushing through difficulty. A lot of people in our world can do that. But the fruit of the spirit of long suffering always produces a pattern so that other people can know how to endure difficulty because they've seen how you relied on God to endure difficulty. Jesus displayed long suffering and attached to his obedience was you and me. Now, what is attached to our obedience and long suffering? Who is attached to our obedience? We can patiently endure hardships. If Jesus' long suffering was to bring about our salvation, who knows what our long suffering means to the world around us, to our coworkers, to our neighbors, to our family. We can be stronger longer by accepting the gift of Jesus, the gift of freedom that he purchased on the cross, that he purchased through his suffering and the adoption by a heavenly father who loves you so much and who has promised in his word never to leave you, never to abandon you, never to forsake you. He is not only a good father, he is the only perfect father. And he has invited you to join his family. If you've never invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I can't think of a better day to do that than today. And we have a team that's gonna pray with you in the chat. There's a button that's, that you can lift your hand or you can just type, I need Jesus in my life. Our team's gonna pray with you. I'm gonna pray with you right now. But this is the day to say, I need Jesus. I need to accept the gift of salvation. I need to acknowledge that God is my father and to lean into his fathering spirit in my life. And let's pray together. So lift your hand if that's you. Even if you're in your living room, just lift your hand as a sign of saying, Jesus, I'm reaching out for you. Father, I'm reaching out for you. And church, let's pray this together. Father God, thank you for sending me the gift of Jesus, the gift of salvation. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again for my sins for my failures, for my redemption. Thank you, Jesus, that I have a new life in you. From now on, it's Jesus first, Jesus always. Thank you for adopting me into your family. Thank you for loving me despite my failures. 
Thank you for redeeming my pain and bringing me hope for tomorrow. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.